0: When you go to a news event, whether it's a press conference or perhaps a tragic scene or, you know, maybe even a sporting event, you're, you're going to see all sorts of journalists at that scene. You're going to have your television reporters in their slick suits and thick makeup right next to them, their camera person who's lugging around the camera and the stand and the wires and everything else. There will be a few newspaper people there with their slim notebooks and cheap pens. You might also find one or two radio people there. Usually one of them is a public radio reporter, and they're standing off to the side with a recorder and their headphones securely around their ears. And then, of course, you'll have one or two photojournalists who are constantly clicking away, taking thousands of photos in the hopes of catching that one unique moment. All of us stand in a bunched up grouping, usually surrounding one or a few people, pointing our microphones and lenses and ears towards those people. Sometimes it's an athlete. Sometimes it's a politician. A lot of the time, it's a law enforcement agent. We're pointing our devices at them, capturing the sights and the sounds of the moment to help us put together a story that we're going to share with you. I want you to come back to the photojournalist for a second, though. This is a person who does a lot less talking than the rest of us. He, she, or them are trying to capture the moment, but only through images. And sometimes they're trying to capture a specific moment, and that could live forever. Just that one picture. This week, I wanted to introduce you to an amazing photojournalist—one who not only has a prestigious career with endless awards, but also who does his photography for art as well. Carl Juist works at the Miami Herald, and he has captured some of the bigger, more intense moments in South Florida history. He also has his own photography studio; it's called the Iris Photo Collective. It's an art gallery in Little Haiti. We talked earlier this year about the magic of telling stories through the photo lens. He also has some fascinating thoughts about the role of all journalists in a changing world. Do you remember the first camera you ever used?
1: It was a Nikkormat. It was a Nikon Nikkormat. It was the first camera. Actually, it was the first camera I ever owned and used. But before then, it was a SRT, Minolta SRT. And that was my brother in law's camera. And my brother in law was a very kind, and gra- he is a very kind and gracious person. And he had one lens, which was a 50. And I used that camera, and it really gave me the opportunity to, to explore the possibilities of being a, a photographer. Um, so I had it in high school. I don't know if you remember this, this program called James at 15. It was about this, this young country boy who moves to Boston and and, and he, he uses the camera as a passport to connect. It was because he, he was a very shy kid. He had skill sets as a visual storyteller that people would engage with him through his photographs. So I kind of mimicked that.
0: I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, did you have a mentor though early on in your career?
1: Not, oh, early on my career at the Herald, I, I had multiple. I mean, I had the staff at the Miami Herald: uh, C.W. Griffin, uh, Maurice Cohen, Ben, Brian Smith, uh, Bill Frakes. I mean, I go down the list, uh, and I also had mentors at the Miami News: Bill Ranky, A.J. uh um, just a host of amazing people who understood the importance of cultivating talent. Um, even, even if that talent is on the rise, um, they saw potential and, and it, it kind of works both ways. you know when people see the light in you, it's up to you to shine, right? Right? So I was not a spotlight. It was kind of like a candle in the dark.
0: So it, going back when you got your first camera, how long? I mean, between then and when you started doing this for a living, I mean, what was that time frame like? Uh, you know,
1: oh, it was quick. It was like in my first camera. I would assume in eighty four, and then by eighty six, I was shooting socials. Jane Woolridge. Uh, well, I think eighty seven, Jane always hired me as a social photographer. And um, I was making pictures that are a little bit more different than, than the approach that other photographers were making. I was looking for little moments, um, caricatures in a party, the interesting people, uh, not necessarily the most important people in the room. Um, sometimes it was both. <laughs> and um, Jane was really, uh, she gave me a really good opportunity to explore and to navigate the spaces that I would not necessarily have access to.
0: Do you remember the very 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 first job you had? Very first gig.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I was working I was working for as a I was working for the Miami News and I was working at the library and the lab tech and spot news photographer. So so the very first gig was doing that at the Miami News and Miami News had a jail away with it with the Herald and when that was no longer uh, feasible when they when it closed down and 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 kind of broke the agreement or um, the Herald picked me up and that's why Jane hired me as I worked a night shift man I mean I did everything that nobody else wanted to do you know I got uh Cubans arriving at the airport I got you know the horrible crashes at night and people would notice the images in the news, and the Herald was just one flight up, I mean, one flight down, actually. And and I was in the back of the mind of a couple of important people like Charlie Trina, who I worked for his father, Junior. Um, so when the opportunity presented itself, he said, hey, why don't you come? There's this little spot opening up in the, in the, in the lab tech, you know, lab position, you know, we'll get you some freelance work. And I just grabbed it, you know, because what I believe in is just making images. And and to me, that was the most important thing.
0: How do you describe to people like what, you know, for you, what is it about being behind the camera, looking at the world through that lens? You know, what, what does that mean to you?
1: Well, the is as much means to me, the pen to a writer, the microphone to a broadcaster. The camera is just an instrument, uh, and it allows me. It's a, It's my passport. It's my weapon of choice. It is. It is. It is a, a relationship that I have with an in an inanimate object, a very close relationship, and and to me, I'm always learning through the camera. Because yes, it's a tool. It is. It is a tool that of my choosing and what comes out of what I make with that tool really it's up to uh, several things. What's happening in front of me, the memories that I have, how I connect with that moment, the present moment. And the camera is, is a tool that I use to engage in moments. You know, it's, it's very intimate.
0: What was the most challenging? assignment for you.
1: All assignments are challenging. I, I I'm going to tell you the truth, um, even till this day when I have a sti- when I have an assignment, there's always this fear of failure. And 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 you have to accept that fear. But failure for me happens in milliseconds. It happens in you know, you miss something and you have to wait again for it to come back around. And my successes has been the sum of failures because i'm learning in in the moment Um, the worst thing a photographer can do is not to be surprised i think if you don't in your process in your practice if you're not surprised then you're not pushing yourself hard enough you know It's like when you interview someone, right? You have some basic questions you have, but you always have these questions that will surprise both you and your audience, right? And we're looking, we're both looking for the same thing. We're looking, finding very unique moments or very unique byproducts from something that seems ordinary. You know, and 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 my practice tries to find those surprises, which means taking risk.
0: I wanna ask you about the risk, but I'm I'm so I'm really interested in what you just said. I mean, sometimes you wait you have to wait for that moment to come back around, but it doesn't always come back around. So does that mean when you go into a into a situation, do you have a plan or you just have to be no, just have to be you know loose and relax and just be in it and see what happens
1: yeah i think it's a combination of both you have to be fluid you really have to take the shape of order if the moment we grab, we if the moment requires you to be solid that means in your space in your position then you take that position and you take all the advantages of being that in that position if the moment requires you to be more fluid, that means you come in and you kind of flow through it, then you use that. But the moment we expect it demands of you to be more in it, kind of like, like air itself become ir- not even ir- not invisible, but irrelevant. I'm a black man. And most of the people I photograph Tend to be different than me. I can't be invisible. <laughs> I just become irrelevant because I built trust. You understand? And same as with you, when you interview, the the practice about trust that people trust that you would that you will. Your intent is to be fair. I hate saying that phrase because they just chopped it up fair and balanced. But your intent is to be fair. Not to be right, not to be first, but just to be fair. I think you get more out of people when they can relax and be themselves.
0: You're hearing Carl Juist, photojournalist at the Miami Herald, and also a photo artist. You can see some of his work on our website, thereporterstudio.com. And again, he runs the Iris Photo Collective. It's an art gallery in Little Haiti, where you can see some of his amazing work. And they also host public discussions on different topics at the gallery. Learn more again on our website. Now we're gonna return to our conversation with Carl and discuss if there are ever moments that he won't try and get the picture. Also what it's like to work with editors when you're picking the right picture for the story. But just a reminder that this podcast is a production of City of Dreams Media Incorporated. All of these interviews are also on YouTube under the Reporter Studio. And if you're following me on LinkedIn, I'm posting a lot of the stuff up there as well. Find me also on Twitter at News Media Host. Now let's get back to our conversation with photojournalist, Carl Just. I think about when I was a reporter. I mean, so much of my time now is spent in a studio, so I'm in a controlled environment. But I think about when I was a reporter and I'd go into places and I'm looking around to see where do I need to be next. But I I always found it fascinating for a photographer because they were so much more... I don't know that they had to do so much more than I did. I, I had to stick a microphone in somebody's face, and I could always find somebody to talk to. But I always loved watching photographers at work because, you know, <laughs> they were bouncing through everything. And they and if there was a crowd moving, if there was, you know, if there was a lot of motion, they'd be in the motion. They would they would go wherever they had to, or climb a tree, or climb a building, or whatever. And so I always found that fascinating. And and I wondered for you. Do you ever find there's a line like, okay, because you said you have to be irrelevant. You, you, you know, you're not the story, but you got to get in there sometimes. You you know, and so I, I wonder if there's ever a line where like, there's no more beyond this, I won't go. Or will you go wherever you got to go?
1: No, it depends on what is at stake. First of all, I'll say this, there's no picture worth dying for. Because images don't, have, don't happen on a linear Paradigm. that happened on a circular paradigm. Because if images really were impactful as much as we say they are, then there'll be no more war. How many pictures have we seen of war? How many pictures we've we seen of starvation? How many pictures we've we seen of environmental de- 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 desecration? I mean, we've seen these images over and over again, right? So, in my practice. I'm not trying to change the world. I'm trying to change people's ideas. I'm trying to introduce them or engage them in a place where they're at. Right? So how far I'm willing to go is how far, how more important is that engagement? I'm not going to go to the KKK rally and expect them to love me. That's not my intent. You meet people where you, where they at, you know, And as a visual, visual storyteller, which I think you are, and I am my tool again, is the camera, your tool is the microphone or the pen or the ear. Right. Um, we meet people where they're at and we allow them to, we, we, we are allowed to retell their stories. I don't think we give people voices. I think people already have voices. We get to retell their stories in a, in, in context. Of, of whatever story we're trying to, narrative we trying to push forward.
0: That's well said. I agree completely, definitely. Do you ever, I mean, I've, I've had plenty of experiences where, you know I'm sure that you have, I think we all have, where people just don't want to be like, I'm not talking to you. I don't want to, you know, whatever. I don't know if like, because you're catching people in, you know, emotional moments and you got that camera right there in their face. I don't know like how often people are like, please leave me alone, stay out of my
1: life. So yeah, it happens, it happens. And, and you know, like I said, I have different approaches for different situations. You know, if, you know, I, I, I think, I think you have to view every opportunity to document as a gift, not a right. You know, we in the press, you know, we can, We can elicit that type of 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 idea that we're the fourth estate. So when we're speaking to government, we're speaking public, you know, um, public figures, yeah, I will pull my my freedom of the press card, right? Right? Because at the end of the day, you are operating on the public trust, right? And, and if that trust has somehow been been violated, then it's, it's my job as, as a, as a bridge between what you're doing and what people are hearing and seeing It's my job to, to kind of compress, you know, to compress that, that, that space. Correct. Right? So yeah, you know, I've had people who are leaving the courthouse I'm nah, no, no no you don't get a pass okay you don't get a pass but if i'm doing a personal story i have to ask myself how do i how do i engage this person and expand their humanity because my job is not to make them seem it's not to record them my job is to find me in them
0: um I wondered, like, when you go out on, you know, on a story, uh, how many photos you tend to take, you know, and, and I wanted to get an idea of that process when you come back and now you've opened them up and you're going through them all, like, you know, what, what what's that like for you and what, what are you looking for? Or is the editor just going to pick one?
1: Well, I mean, if I'm doing personal projects, I work with other photographers, they become an editor, but, you know, I, I, I kind of view each pressing the shutter as a step and it allows me to move closer to, I don't see pictures in terms of a product. I see pictures in terms of a process, a process of telling a story. Sometimes I can tell that story in one image. Sometimes I could tell that story in multiple images. Sometimes it's in an essay form. Sometimes it's in the narrative forms, a narrative form, photo story. And sometimes it's just an image that says it all. But I think, I think regardless of the approach, the intent is to try to be as close and accurate in getting the spirit of that moment. I'm not concerned with your flesh, I'm trying to understand your soul. Anybody can get your flesh, but in order to ha- understand in that brief moment your character, your truth, then I must open myself. I must be willing to have a conversation with you. That's beyond. It doesn't start with with pressing down the shutter. It starts with a hello. You know the shutter's are last thing. It's the period to the sentence, right? so it's the conversation that we have where we can find our common ground and how we can move how we can move as collaborators to retell your story i don't see things in terms of you know yeah there are moments there are poignant moments there are, there are aesthetics there are you know framing there are all these mechanisms but at the end of the day at the end of the day, you can have all of those wonderful elements in a in frame. At the end of the day, for me, is it truthful?
0: I, I've i seen this with reporters. Um, I know that you know my relationship with my producers, there's always a give and take. I wanna do something, they don't see it. They're like, no, let's go a different direction. Okay, that's all right. I I, I know there's a lot of swallowing of pride and ego at times. I wondered with photographers, you know, how often, what that relationship's like with the editors and, you know, has there ever been a situation? Because I know there, I've seen reporters where an editor's changed something or there's a headline they don't like and the reporter gets really mad. And so, you know, I'll have those, not arguments, I'll have, you know, spirited debates with with my bosses like, hey, I thought this would be better, but I, I don't know, like, what's that like with you? Do they ever pick a photo? You're like, that's not the story, man. <laughs> it's
1: not even pick the the way it's presented. You know what's next to it. You know it's it's all about proximity. It's all about okay. Does it really pertains to the tone of my experience? You know, a lot of times you know some writers see photographers as illustrators, and 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 some photographers see writers as fillers. And I don't I I, I see photographers as And and writers and editors as as fingers to a fist, you know. And 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 if our intent is to be fair, if our intent is to retell, if our intent is to put the reader in our shoes, then we should all work for the same cause. And I think as photographers, writers, and editors, we need to find that common ground, so that we move like fingers to a fist. And and that's a process. Sometimes it, it works. And sometimes you have to fight. Sometimes like, sometimes like Peter, like, like, Teddy Pendergrass says, you just got to let it go. And take the TKO. Just Let it go. All right, because not every fight has to be war.
0: No, no, I've, I've learned that one the hard way over time without a doubt. You're listening to The Reporter Studio, a production of City of Dreams Media Incorporated. And this week's episode, we're talking with Miami Herald photojournalist, Carl Joost. You can follow him on social media or you can see some of his work and his art studio on our website thereporterstudio.com we're going to come back to our conversation with carl in just a moment but i wanted to remind you of another podcast that's coming out later in june of 2022.
1: further into the future things are going to become more
0: uncertain are here are going to be concentrated on the high ground and that's going to result in a
1: significant See them arise. Maybe pull this issue period. and address it in a meaningful way. Foreseen by events that we can't predict. Can friends we can project things, and then that's five, six, seven people, Even if you're and part the chamber that is that is more privileged and that is not dealing with climate effects on a regular. Anybody
0: basis, to be suspicious of people who claim to know what Miami will look like in 10 or 20 years, let alone 50 years. No one can guess what exactly will happen in 50 years, except that South Florida will likely not look much like it does today. The oceans will have risen, flooding will be a bigger challenge, and things are likely to be hotter. Planet Earth 2072, the podcast, we asked the question, what will Miami look like in 50 years? What will happen and how will we prepare? we spoke with researchers, politicians, and advocates about their fears for the future.
1: You know, it's gonna be harder to anticipate what is gonna happen from day to day. And the people
0: who are here are gonna be concentrated on the high ground in very dense urban Uh landscapes. And that's gonna result in a significant sea level rise, maybe adding 20% to those numbers I just gave you. We also spoke with members of Gen Z.
1: We can project them, but we really don't know what this climate catastrophe is going to look like. No matter what, that's not in your control. And I think that, you know, for acknowledging the problem now, we can definitely stop it from becoming much worse. We want to better our
0: society naturally. I think everyone does. The question of the future, what can we expect? Planet Earth 2072, the podcast, comes out June 2022. Learn more at the website planetearth2072.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Again, the podcast comes out in late June of 2022. Now let's get back to our conversation with photojournalist Carl Juist of the Miami Herald. He's got some interesting thoughts on not having a newsroom to work in, also how photo technology has changed his job, and how he divides his time between work and art. You've been in the business a while, and what's really fascinating is you've you've had the chance to see how this industry is changing. And I, I want to focus on your industry, the newspaper business. And you are now in a situation where, um, you know, with the Herald, like they they don't have a physical home, and that's just a weird thing to think about. But it uh, we've seen so much happen over the last twenty years. I don't know what do you what do you see happening? in the future with this industry? Not necessarily the Herald, I'm just like big picture. You know, what's what's going on? Where are we going? Where are we heading here?
1: You know, our newsroom has to be in the streets. Our newsrooms has to be in city hall. Our newsroom has to be in local hospitals, local institutions. We have to get out of our own way. It, yes, it's great to have a place to go to and kind of, ha- and hash all these great ideas out. Right? That's amazing. I think that's important because it 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 kind of feeds this, this collegiate and fellowship that's important. You know, because we all are sometimes we are in in the trenches together. And having that proximity to another photographer, another writer, another editor is is amazing. But at the same time, what's more important, I'll give up the space for increasing our ability to listen to each other And I think our ability to listen has increased we could text we could use we could use various different devices and platforms to make quick decisions on the fly. again we need to be a shape of water because the world is not moving it always moved fast is now we have the ability to even try to keep up with it. You know, and, and in 30 year plus in this business, you know, people go, well, you went from, you know, shooting negatives to a, you know, to do to, to a digital platform. But the camera is not between my fingers, it's between my ears. The main instrument that I use is my intellect. You understand? Cause I can, what makes photography so relevant is the compression of past, present, and future. Great writing has the ability to do that. It draws from your memory, it puts you in the place and it gives you it gives you a the a, a narrative, a place to go. And sometimes that place we're going is 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 questionable. But we can't fear. we can't live in fear because the act of bravery has to have the presence of fear.
0: You may have answered my next question because I was wondering, you know, your line of work. What's interesting is that it's, I don't know if it's changed. Like I think about, yeah, the technology's changed for me, like in a radio studio, the kind of equipment we use and, and so much, you know, we went from the old days where we had the old reels with tape and, you know, we would tape ourselves on tape and now everything's digital, but the microphone is still a microphone. I wonder with the camera since now, you know, you've gone from film to digital, and I don't know if the technology has gotten so much different or better that that's changed the way you do things. I'm, I don't know.
1: I think the technology has been an equalizer. It allowed people to, to, to produce images, quality images at a certain level, but it doesn't really, it doesn't address the reason why that creativity occurs. I think those things, those individual experiences, those elements of storytelling, the variables are still the same. Timing, relationship, and outcome, right? So when you approach a story, and if you have a lot of time, you can kind of produce a better product. But if you have time with no resource, then you're back to square one. Or you have resources but no time, you're back to square one. We're constantly trying to navigate things that we cannot predict. And if we're in the business of trying to be fortune tellers, then we're not taking risks that we have to be better listeners. And as we become better listeners, then we tell more full, then we retell full of stories. You know, I know in radio sound is so important. You're talking about the beach and you can hear a seagull in the background. You know, you can hear the rustling, of the wind, you can hear the shore crashing. The idea we need to put people in places where they're comfortable and where they're not comfortable. And they need to navigate between those spaces very, very fluidly. I need to take some someone somewhere that may seem foreign, but a certain element makes it familiar to them. You know, you know what I'm saying? So, it's 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 the technology doesn't give you that. It's the experience, the intent. And the dedication that brings that, and that cannot be bought at B and H. That there's no app for that. Okay, there's no app. You got to put in the time. You got to put in the work, and you got to be able to listen. And you got to be people are fearless. No, you have to have fear, and you have to act in spite of it.
0: Yeah, I've always I've always doubted anybody who's ever told me they were fearless. I I've always had a hard time believing that. Let me finish with this, Carl. The other thing too I know about you is that you're you're an amazing artist, and I know that, you know, you you, this is your line of work, but at the same time, you know, you are dedicating yourself to a lot of other fun projects and interesting projects. And I wondered for you, uh, maybe it's all the same, or are they separate? And you know, do you view them differently? Do you view storytelling as a journalist, a photojournalist, differently than you do as a photo artist?
1: Well, my My art is photojournalism, so I don't separate the two. I produce contemporary art instantly. Sometimes I come into a scene understanding the subject, and I'm able to create something that's true to that subject, right? So if I'm doing wish book, for instance, right, and this person's in need, I try to zone in what that need is and how do I make that person, not a victim, but a victor. The art of photojournalism is not in the product, but it's in the process. That's why it's artful. And for me, when I'm collaborating, there's three collaborators in a a, a photograph, right? There's the author, the photographer, there's the subject, and there's, there's the reader or the viewer. Because photographs, all they are, all of their sentences, their phrases, their novels, their chapters, they part of that our first language, our visual language. All art stems from our understanding of the visual language. A great writer puts you in that place, uses words to, com- to convey not only ideas but to draw up memories or to allow people to explore. When you hear, something amazing in the radio and you can't turn off, you know, you can't turn off your car and you captivate it because you have now allowed yourself to travel. And all artists are, we are like tour guides in time. We take our audience with us and this is where the trust comes in. And I think being a journalist is such an amazing art form, all of it from editing to, to, to writing, to multimedia is such an amazing art form because we allow to bring people along on this amazing ride. And that to me is magical.
0: That's a fascinating way to look at what we do. And maybe that's a new way to, you know, communicate that to the audiences. Cause I think, I think the audiences may think of us. They'll judge us. They always have, and and that's okay. But I think maybe you know, I, I hope that I get them to understand what we what we're here to do. And and maybe that's an interesting way of looking at it, you know, as as artists.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's over what there's four point six billion pictures made a day, so people understand your first language is the visual language. You understand? That's the language. Everybody on this planet is bilingual. Your first language is a visual language. Then you learn to read and write. OK, and we operate. We operate journalists, artists. We operate on mastering that that primary language and taking that language. is. I make pictures and people from China understand it. They may not understand it fully, They understand the humanity of the image. Our job is to make people see themselves in our work. And if we can't do that, then we will die like the dinosaurs. The the meteor that's going to hit us is our inability to do that.
0: That's well put. I like that. Carl, I always love talking to you, man. Thank you for sharing with me today. And and I appreciate having you on the uh, reporter studio, man.
1: Anytime, you know, ring the bell.
0: You're listening to The Reporter Studio. This week, we're talking with Carl Juice, photojournalist of the Miami Herald. Learn more about his work and his art gallery on our website, thereporterstudio.com. I got to say that I really envy photojournalists. When I was a kid... I wanted to be a photographer and a videographer for like a nature show or a nature documentary, because I wanted to go out into the wild and I wanted to capture the beauty of nature. Actually, when I was a really little kid, I, I wanted to be like a videographer for Jacques Cousteau. Something always just intrigued me about telling stories through images. Well, coming up next week on the season finale of The Reporter Studio.
1: Even at NPR, We took the lazy man, sort of cowardly way out for quite a long time, meaning that we did the the he said, she said, the false balance, where rather than putting our own reputation on the line, because NPR kept getting attacked as being liberal, which is not true, but they kept getting attacked as liberal. And so in order to fix that, they would just always include an opposing voice.
0: Celeste Headley. You hear her from time to time hosting NPR programs like Here and Now. She's also the author of books like We Need to Talk, Do Nothing, and a recent work, Speaking of Race, Why Everybody Needs to Talk About Racism and How to Do It. You can find links to her work, her online presence, and of course her books on our website, thereporterstudio.com. Find this podcast on your favorite podcast app, and if you enjoy the product, as always, subscribe, rate, and review. Also, if you don't mind, share. Yeah, please. We should do a little more sharing in our lives. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk again next week.